One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. So, this could be it then. This is big. The greatest medical advance in the last hundred years. Out of Germany came great tidings of a new vaccine. Do we now say with confidence that life should be returning to normal by spring? Yes, yes, yes. In the war between the scientists and the virus, it looks like things are going the human's way. But this is no quick fix. Eradicating a global disease is a mighty business, as past experience tells us. Scientists usher in a new medical age with the salt vaccine against crippling polio, a sensational success. There's growing fears that polio will surge as the world focuses on eradicating the coronavirus. This is Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich, and this episode is the first in an unfolding miniseries, The Vaccine, tracking the progress of those tackling one of the truly great historic challenges to human ingenuity and organisation. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be making sense of the latest developments as they happen. This is what we've been waiting for. The limiting factor will not be the number of vaccines, it will be the logistics, and the logistics are phenomenal. Taking an inside look at the vaccine industry. She attended a virtual conference of American venture capitalists. She reports directly to UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Thank you very much for joining us today. It's a complete pleasure. And learning from past efforts to defend humanity from our biological enemies. Will we have enough vaccine to protect those parts of the world that can't pay? If we want to be safe, they've got to be safe. Today, the first flickering ray of hope. Okay. Um, so I am opening my phone and I'm clicking on a link. It was January this year, and as we were preparing to launch this podcast, Times science editor Tom Whipple alerted us to... One of the most important scientific papers published this year, and also one of the most impressive. The paper consists almost entirely of gobbledygook. One of the few comprehensible things is it says... Wuhan seafood market pneumonia virus isolate Wuhan Huan complete genome. Only a few dozen people have been hospitalised with COVID-19 in China, but with extraordinary speed, scientists there had sequenced the virus's DNA, shared it with scientists the world over, and effectively fired the starting gun in the race for a vaccine. A-T-T-A-A-A-G-G-T-T 
T-A-T-A-C-C-T-T-C. There's a If you know what that genetic code is, you know almost everything you need to know about that virus. Where the virus came from, where it's going, and how to stop it. Is it very odd being asked to do all these interviews? It is very new for me. It's not odd, but like it's new. By the middle of March, as news from Italy became grim, vaccine researchers like Dr Kai Hu from Imperial College London were becoming sought-after interviewees. Before moving to London, Kai had spent 12 years in Wuhan, the epicentre of the outbreak. I just happened to be the person who lived in Wuhan and working in the vaccine now. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing special. And in our very first episode, he told Manveen what he was hearing from friends in his former hometown. The whole city is locked down. You have no idea how long this will last. One of my friends told me, you have to be in this situation to know how it feels. It is beyond imagine. One week later, what seemed beyond imagination would become our reality. We locked down. And the only long-term way out of the pandemic, a vaccine, seemed at the time to be a distant prospect. Traditionally, it takes 10 years or maybe longer to have a vaccine ready for the market. We were trying to push it shorter. You think it can be done in a year? This hasn't been done previously. This is what we're trying to achieve. Worldwide, there are a few groups that have been working on these new coronavirus vaccines. I think it might be possible. Is there a sense of competition? I think it's not a competition between each other. It's more like a competition with the virus and with the outbreak. How does your family feel about it? My family, they say, oh, you will be the hero. (laughs) Although we don't think we expect everybody to be successful. One of us be successful will be enough. (laughs) We'll be lucky already. This week, someone has been successful. The US giant Pfizer and the German startup BioNTech have a vaccine that could be just weeks away from being approved by regulators. And many more promising vaccines, perhaps including one from Kai's team at Imperial College, are coming down the track. Here's Deputy Chief Medical Officer Jonathan Van Tam, JVT, speaking on Monday. So this is like getting to the end of a playoff final. It's gone to penalties. The first player goes up, scores the goal. You haven't won the cup yet, but what it does is it tells you that the goalkeeper can be beaten. And that's where we are today. I felt like crying when I heard that. Like most of you, I hate this pandemic. I hate lockdown. I hate feeling scared. And I could weep for those suffering far worse than I have from depression, isolation, lost employment and the virus itself. So I really wanted what JVT was saying to be true. I called science editor Tom Whipple just to make sure I wasn't getting ahead of myself. Yeah. I guess yesterday I wrote about the biggest science story of the year, possibly of the century. We have got the first vaccine that seems to work against coronavirus. And not only does it work, it works extremely well, far better than anyone had ever dared hope. It claims to have 90% efficacy. 
Okay, uh, let's stop right there and just mark this page because a lot of people will be saying, yeah, we heard a lot of claims about this scientist says this and this scientist says that about the lockdown. Then they seem to be in an argument uh, and some may say, go like Sweden, and some don't, and people make all kinds of claims. So I want to get this absolutely clear. Why do we give significant credit to these claims that Pfizer now has a vaccine? As you say, there has been just... A, a sort of fusillade of nonsense for the past six months and ridiculous arguments, conspiracy theories, arguments about reality. This is solid. This is as solid as it gets. I'm Jonathan Van Tam, Deputy Chief Medical Officer. I think the mum test is very important here. My mum is 78. She'll be 79 shortly. And I've already said to her, mum, make sure when you're called, you're ready. This is what we've been waiting for. This is the last stage in proving a drug works. It's the stage where loads of drugs fall down. And this vaccine has been given to 22,000 people. 22,000 other people have received a control. Among those 22,000 people who received the control, they were far more likely to get infected with coronavirus than the 22,000 people who received the vaccine. So we can see that it stops people getting COVID. It stops them getting it? Yeah. And who are the people who've developed this and where do they stand in, in the range of vaccine developers? BioNTech is a German drug developer. They were quite a small company. They're now not quite a small company. They've been looking at this absolutely cutting edge stuff, which is mRNA vaccine technology. Now, they are not the ones distributing that or running the trials. For that, you need an even bigger company, and that's what Pfizer, the global pharmaceutical company, have done. We always thought they were likely, along with the Oxford vaccine, to be the first to report, and obviously they've slightly pipped them at the post. I think when the history of the pandemic is written, we might well find that there's a couple of vaccines that are basically simultaneously out, and I suspect that the Oxford vaccine will be the other one. But yeah, they've shown this very experimental technology that has never really been used in vaccines before is doing a lot better than we thought it might. So essentially, we have this relatively small company up until now, BioNTech, which has been working, if you like, almost kind of embedded in a much larger company, Pfizer, which has now developed what seems to be a vaccine that will actually work. I mean, could you could you take us through the process by which it works? So conventionally with a vaccine, you sort of show them a deactivated husk of the virus. It's a bit like showing them a Rolls Royce, but without the engine in it, so that when the actual angry Rolls Royce comes throttling in with its proper V8 virus, your body is able to recognise it and it's able to say, I've seen this, I've seen the one that didn't have the engine in and I can attack it. So this is called an mRNA vaccine. mRNA is messenger RNA. RNA is a kind of genetic code. It's very similar to DNA. What this is doing is it's going into our cells and it's telling those cells whatever processes they were meant to be doing it's intercepting the signals and saying, let's do something else. And what it's telling them to do is to make these fragments from the outside of the coronavirus, just making little bits of the outside of the Rolls-Royce, maybe the wing mirror or, you know, even better, the lady at the front on the prow of the car. And that means that it can see this thing and just from that will know to attack it and flag it for destruction by the body. Now, what is remarkable about all this? So that's the process, by the scientific process by which uh, it works. Now, when it started off, the couple at the centre of this and their company, BioNTech, must have had a fair idea that they were operating a technology 
that might actually mean that you could get to a result much more quickly than we have done conventionally. Yeah, so both this and the Oxford vaccine, they're better thought of as vaccine platforms rather than vaccines themselves. There are vaccines coming through that are far more conventional. Those are idiosyncratic to the particular virus you're dealing with. What's amazing about the mRNA vaccines is that what you do, and this is why they're so fast off the blocks, is as soon as a new virus arrives, you sequence its genome. And from that, you can pull out instantly the bit that you need to make and you can stick it straight into your platform and you're, you're ready to go. You don't have to think about the particular quirks of this virus because you know how to make the protein you need to make from that genetic code and you just splice it straight in and, and off you go. Essentially, this whole process has not been about making the vaccine. It's been about showing the vaccine works and is safe. And that's what's taken the time. They've condensed the scientific bit, which would normally take a decade, into weeks. And that's, and I think that's the thing that we've got to mark here, isn't it? Which is, it's remarkable enough to have done the trials in this period, but it's the science which is truly astonishing. Yeah, it's, I mean, and we are lucky that this happened when it did, because all of these technologies were just, just on the cusp of coming through so that we could just condense this scientific process into essentially no time. You are a relatively young biotech company founded in 2008. What was that moment like for you and the folks at your company? It was a wonderful moment. An efficacy rate of over 90% is incredibly positive. Now, I want to get into the question of what we know about its effectiveness and what effectiveness in this context really means. But before we do, let's just talk about these two people who set up BioNTech a bit because they are pretty interesting. Yes, I guess it's a wonderful story of globalisation. You know, we've got these two Turkish immigrants to Germany. It's a couple who were brilliant scientists. Özlem Türeci and Uğur Şahin have dedicated their lives to the treatment of cancer and infectious diseases. And their hard work has paid off. And they've become, well, billionaires on paper and all power to them. And they're a movie waiting to happen, aren't they now? I really hope so. I really hope so. Okay. Now, let's talk about what we mean by effective. What is it that we need a vaccine to do? So the bare minimum to pass trials, and this helps provide context as to why people are quite so excited, the bare minimum was 50% efficacy. Efficacy means it stops half of symptomatic infections. And that word symptomatic is important, and we will come back to it. So if this stops 90% of illness, that's great. If it stops 90% of illness in older people, that's brilliant. Now, bear in mind, we don't quite know yet how well with any confidence it works in the older group that it has to work in. But older people aren't, I believe, a different species. And given it is so good in the group as a whole, it's likely to be reasonably effective in older people as well, even if things aren't quite that good. The thing that I wanted to try and understand is if you have a 90% efficacy, that does mean that there is a group of people for whom this is not effective. It's just not a large group of people. Yes. And then this actually leads quite well into the next point, which is symptomatic. So we do not know 
if people are still getting asymptomatically infected. And so it may be that it stops illness in those 90% of people, but does not stop transmission. Now, if it stopped transmission in 90% of people, then you wouldn't have to give it, to, if you gave it to two thirds of the population, you'd probably reached herd immunity. But if it doesn't stop transmission, you're not getting herd immunity at all. And then those 10% aren't protected, and yes, they will still get illness. Ideally, it'll stop transmission, will have herd immunity, and it doesn't matter that it doesn't work in 10% of people. Okay, so that takes us back to the question of what level of take-up we would need if, let's say, the Pfizer vaccine is the first running vaccine. What proportion of the population would we need to take it up? And the answer, I suspect, from what you said is we're not quite sure yet. Yeah, it's exactly that. We're not sure. We don't know the long-term characteristics of this in terms of how long immunity lasts. We don't yet know whether it stops transmission. My hunch, if I was to now play out what's going to happen over the next few months and maybe the next year, is that we will start a vaccination programme with the Pfizer vaccine before Christmas. I suspect either just before Christmas or just after Christmas, we will discover that the Oxford vaccine has got results. And given the results of this, I, th- I would be now surprised, I'm going to say, if it doesn't turn out to be successful as well. We will probably start vaccinating people with that one as well. Just it would be good to see which works better. and We probably won't know at that time. By spring, I suspect most of the people we really want to be vaccinated will be vaccinated. And It might well be that we get the more conventional vaccines coming through then and we start thinking, well, for the rest of the adult population, let's use those. So let's be clear. In the first instance, what we might be talking about is vaccination to protect and in the longer term, vaccination to eliminate the virus. Yes, I suspect this is the vaccine that gets us through the winter. And then actually, it's not used again, that we find that there's a a, perfectly reasonable, far more conventional one that we understand a lot better that becomes our annual booster shot. And so that I also understand this, we could also have significant amounts of vaccine available because it's already being produced and it's already been ordered up to us relatively quickly. Yes, we've ordered 40 million doses of this, two doses per person. Thank you for the question, Victoria. We're now moving to Tom Whipple at The Times. Hi, thank you very much indeed. Um, I'd like to ask, what does 40 million doses mean? I can say that we have an agreement for 40 million doses in total, which will cover two doses per person for 20 million citizens, and that we are working with that company to understand what the volumes of delivery over time will look like. I suspect or I've been told that we should have 10 million doses by uh, the end of the year. So I think we will have enough vaccines that the limiting factor will not be the number of vaccines. It will be the logistics. And the logistics are phenomenal. If you think about the, I don't know, let's say 15 million of our population, if you want to get them done in three months, you're talking over 100,000 people a day. The really hard thing, vaccinating them once is hard. We've got to come back to them. You've got to make sure that you get back to people at the right time and ensure they get their second dose. And that's going to be even harder. So this is a mammoth undertaking. How soon after the first dose must you take the second? 
In the Pfizer trial, it was 21 days. So you've got to record who's got it, and you've got to record when you bother them. And if they don't turn up, you've got to find a way to get them out there. It rapidly reaches the stage where you suspect we'll have another one of those Downing Street press conferences where a uh, Sandhurst-educated brigadier turns up and starts telling you precisely what his troopers are up to, because I, I think this is going to be a job for the army. Welcome to the latest COVID press conference. I'm delighted to be joined this evening by Brigadier Joe Fossey and by Jonathan Van Tam. It's a mammoth challenge. An absolute army of people have been working on this for months. I don't mind telling you that um, if I can help with this, doing some extra vaccination sessions myself, then I'm going to. So who gets it? So we are starting with, I mean, if we remember from the first wave, the places that were really hard hit were care homes. So we're going to be looking at people in care homes, including the workers. Then it essentially goes down by age. I mean, there are categories of people who are particularly at risk, but it's the over 80s, the over 70s, the over 60s, the over 50s. So sometime in the early new year, grizzled veterans like me who come into about group four or five will get a text or a message from the NHS saying you are now eligible for a jab, attend at such and such a time, etc. Yes, I'd imagine it'll be exactly like that. Um, I, I don't want to make any assumptions about your age. You've always seemed quite youthful to me, but I suspect you'll be, <laughs> you'll, you'll be, you'll be seeing maybe the first leaves appearing on the tree and you'll be welcoming <laughs> the new spring of your immunity. <laughs> um, so, so that's what we plan to happen. The next question, I suppose, which is almost an imponderable, but you and I ought to kind of just think about it, is whether or not we will see any large level of vaccine hesitancy. For us, for the MHRA to approve a vaccine, how do we approach this? There is absolutely no chance that we will compromise on standards of safety or effectiveness. My own feeling is we'll just go for it. But some people are worried, aren't they? They are. Talk about whether it should be a criminal offence to share misinformation about the COVID vaccine. Patricia, you don't think it should be? Absolutely not. Bill Gates is behind this with Pfizer. We're being fed a pack of lies. Bill Gates, there's a lot of money to be made out of this vaccine. Oh, last one you are. Oh, Bill Gates has done Hang on, Patricia. Patricia, don't. Phil, hang on. Hang on, Phil. Phil, you can. Hang on, Patricia, you can't just. Patricia. Vaccine conspiracies, mad. They're mad often in the literal sense, and you know, there's no reason for them. But they are completely unpredictable and can be very strange. So, to give a couple of examples, we are so close, so close to getting rid of polio. It holds on in a few pockets, many in the Middle East. We would probably be rid of it now if it wasn't for the assassination of Osama bin Laden. And this actually is one of these conspiracy theories that's based in truth. He was identified thanks to work by the CIA where they piggybacked on the vaccination program and took blood samples and things like that. And so now the imams have been preaching that the polio vaccination program is a front for the CIA, and take-up has dropped. So you never quite know where these... And then, of course, here we have the MMR thing and autism. You never know where or how these things are going to pop up. I think anyone who's read The Extraordinary Delusions and the Madness of Crowds shows that you'd be a fool to bet on the rationality of a population at large. Okay, let's talk about yours and my rationality. Will you be looking for a shot as soon as you can possibly get it? Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) 
Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. You might say, well, why take a vaccine, particularly one of these experimental ones, which we haven't got the long-term safety profile of these in the way that we would have with the more conventional vaccines. So there is a theoretical risk, but I'd say there's probably a far higher theoretical risk that there really is something to long COVID and that people like me who think we're safe actually turn out not to be. So even if we're stuck with just the Pfizer one, I would be rolling up my sleeves as soon as I could. This has been such a boring year. It's boredom mixed with tragedy. And yeah, I mean, God, I wanted to end. Thanks very much, Tom. Coming up, could life really be back to normal by the spring, as one Oxford scientist is claiming? To get a reality check, I'll be talking to the man who used to run the immunisation system. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Search thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I have to say it's making everybody feel good. I was as excited as anyone because this is such an important moment. It's better than anyone had hoped for. Professor David Salisbury is the former director of immunisation at the Department of Health. I was responsible for the national immunisation programme. I've run vaccine campaigns in this country. I've been involved in vaccine campaigns in many other countries. I've introduced new vaccines until 2013, helping get a vaccine like this one to everyone who needed it would have been part of David Salisbury's job. So what did I need to bear in mind? There's a downside we have to acknowledge, and that is that certainly this vaccine from Pfizer needs to be distributed in really extraordinarily difficult circumstances. The vaccine has to be distributed and stored at around minus 80 degrees centigrade. And we have never had to do anything like that with a vaccine before. The best vaccine is one that you can put in your pocket and that you can take out into the field and just give to people. So tough, tough challenges for the logistics. 
So when you heard Professor John Bell from Oxford University being asked if he's confident that life should be returning to normal by the spring, and he said... Yes, yes, yes. I'm, I'm probably the first guy to say that, but I do. I, I will say that with some confidence. That's fabulous news. I'm not asking you to, to, to disagree with him or anything like that, but what did you think about that? Oh, I did disagree with him. I don't mind saying it. And I hope he's proved right. But I don't think it will be. We have got a really difficult task. We've got to vaccinate the people in the risk groups. We've got to be able to vaccinate enough people to stop transmission. And whilst we are likely to get high coverage in the over 65s and reasonable coverage in the under 65s with risk factors, we've also got to vaccinate all those other young people for whom the benefit is much less, but they may well transmit the infection and they're not necessarily the best at wearing face masks and observing social distancing. I think it's a brave move to say that just because we vaccinated half the population, we can give up social distancing, for instance. And I have been concerned about the undue enthusiasm and lack of realism that some people have expressed. And I was heartened to hear more insights into realism being expressed by the Secretary of State. The logistics are complex, the uncertainties are real, and the scale of the job is vast. But I know that the NHS, brilliantly assisted by the armed services, that they will rise to this challenge of being ready, when the science comes good, to inject hope into millions of arms this winter. We've talked for a long time about the distant bugle of the scientific cavalry uh, coming over the brow of the hill, I can tell you that tonight that toot of that bugle is louder, but it's still some way off. The idea that we have availability for a vaccine and therefore we can give up on all of the things that we've put up with through this year after Christmas, I just don't think it's going to happen. And I think that we have to look at vaccine plus, and it's vaccine plus a number of behaviours that still reduce the risks of transmission. I would dearly love to be wrong, but I think it's going to run a bit longer than Easter. So vaccine plus could be vaccine plus some measures of social distancing, mask wearing, being, washing hands, being careful, not getting in each other's faces and so on, maybe keeping some measures of social distancing at indoor social occasions and so on. Is that the kind of thing that you're talking about, uh, let's say in six months or one year down the road? Yeah, I think that we will be exhibiting different behaviours for quite a long time. I think that people will be cautious about getting on public transport with the sort of sardine experiences that we might have put up with in the past. So I think there will be an impact on our behaviours, even with a vaccine. And the only way in which I think that we can go back to how we used to be is if this virus just goes away. Coronaviruses can do that. SARS, for example, in early 2000s has gone away or it turns into something that's no more serious than a cold 
or we can block transmission through vaccination. But that depends on the duration of the vaccine being long and that we have a very high uptake as well. If we don't get those, we have susceptibles and we can have transmission and then we can infect people and they can die. Let's talk about the rollout, because this is something you really also know a lot about, which is getting that much vaccine. And it may not just be this vaccine, it may be other vaccines, and it could conceivably be vaccines that don't require such a, a cold storage. But on the scale that we're talking about, what are the challenges? And frankly, are we up to it? Very few industrialised countries have run the sort of vaccine campaigns that we have done and that we continue to do. So I think that we have got a a huge amount already in the bank in terms of capacity and competence. So if I had to pick a country, I would actually pick this one as being one of the best placed. That doesn't mean the job's going to be easy. Vaccine campaigns, of course, require syringes and needles. And of course, they require people to give the vaccines. But you also have to know what you've done. And so you've got to have an underlying information system that can keep track of who, where, when and how. But you've done it before, haven't you? We've done it before in different circumstances. You know, we've got a lot of experience in this country of doing school-based campaigns. So we're pretty good at those. We're good at seasonal flu. But nobody has got much experience of vaccinating adults, particularly those not in risk groups. One of the things the pandemic has done has made us very interested in science. Another is that we've all become very interested in the pharmaceutical industry and vaccine development and rollout and so on. Now, the system we've got, big private firms, some working with universities and government, some not, uh, some having government investment, some like Pfizer, actually not. Is it your belief that it's turned out to work well? I think this has worked better than anyone might have expected. And it's the diversity that I think is is so interesting here. We've got the potential for many new coronavirus vaccines, but the big question is, will we have enough vaccine to protect those parts of the world that can't pay industrialized country prices? Because if we want to be safe, they've got to be safe. And that I think will be the big question that's still got to be answered. Are we able to do better than we've ever done before for those parts of the world that are not privileged as we are? So are we able to do better? That's certainly one question we'll be asking in future episodes. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guests, Times Science Editor Tom Whipple and former Director of Immunisation at the Department of Health, Professor David Salisbury. The producer was James Shield, the executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Carla Patella. If you have thoughts on what you've just heard or a story you think we should be covering, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you again soon.
Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.